Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here. Hope you're having a great day today. Looks to be a beautiful day. Uh, As we start today, I want to give you some information, uh, uh, kind of an update on some of our efforts in Nepal. Uh, Last time I spoke with you, two weeks ago, I showed you uh, some video of the church building project uh, that we're doing there, and you saw the men carrying the rebar uh, down the mountain and across the river and up the other mountain to build the church. And uh, today I wanted to to talk about uh, one of the other problems that they face there in the remote regions of Nepal is a lack of consistent water sources. Uh, During the rainy season, they can uh, grow crops on terraces. They'll cut terraces into the mountain, and when it rains, it'll catch the water, and they can grow stuff. But then during the dry season, everything goes dormant. And there's water available in the area uh, from mountain springs and then raging rivers, Uh, but the water coming out of the springs just runs straight down. The mountains are so steep, it just runs straight down the mountains into the rivers, and then if they want to use it for cooking or or drinking, somebody has to walk down the mountain to the river, fill up a jug with water, and then carry it back up to the village. And uh, that job typically falls uh, to young children. It's just a chore that kids have to do to spend their days fetching jugs of water from the river, Uh, so much so that they uh, don't have time to go to school. And then due to the short growing season, the the men, the husbands, the fathers, uh, they'll leave the area, they'll migrate into the cities, or in Nepal's case, they'll migrate into India and look for work. And then that leaves the women and the children uh, in the village without protection. It weakens the family structure and just creates all kinds of problems. So one of the things that our, our network in Nepal has been doing is we're helping these villages solve their water problem. And so we we help the villagers identify a mountain stream or streams that have sufficient water flow uh, to meet their needs. And then an engineer comes to the site and designs a concrete water tank that can capture that water and keep it from just running down the mountain. And then they create a system of pipes and hoses that distributes the water uh, for livestock, for irrigating gardens and fields, for home use, other stuff. And so this allows families to produce enough food for themselves uh, throughout, the, throughout the year and even an abundance of food, grain, and livestock so that they can become self-sufficient. And now the men can stay in the village. They can work their farms uh, year-round. And the kids don't have to haul water, so now the kids can go to school. So it makes a dramatic impact in a village when you do that. And the neat part about all of this is, is that it's done through the local pastor, through the local church, and so the church, the body of Christ, gets all the credit. Well, when that happens, people respond to that, and they begin to recognize the importance of the church, the importance of Christ. He's the living water, and, uh, and people come to faith in Christ. So that's what's going on over there. That's a cool deal, and you guys are part of that. You're part of that. So, yeah. I don't know about you, but it makes my heart happy. Uh, We're in a series in the book of Proverbs called Getting a Grip on Life, and today we're looking at Taming My Temper. Uh, Proverbs 16.32, 
in the contemporary English version says, controlling your temper is better than being a hero who captures a city. Uh, One day, Alexander the Great, in a fit of rage, struck his favorite general. Uh, The guy was his best friend, but he got angry and he hit him and killed him. And Alexander cried out, I have conquered the world, but I can't even conquer my own soul. Uh, You've got to get a grip on your temper. And Proverbs tells us if we're going to tame our temper, we have to do four things. So on your notes, number one, you want to remember the results. Remember the results of your anger. Uh, Proverbs 29, 22, a person with a quick temper stirs up arguments and commits a lot of sins. Arguments and sins aren't really desirable results. Uh, Proverbs 15, 18, a hot-tempered person starts fights. A cool-tempered person stops them. Uh, Proverbs 14, 29, people with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. And remember, when we started this series, Ryland talked about the four characters in Proverbs. There's the simple, the fool, the mocker, and the wise. And so wise people, people with understanding, control their temper. A hot temper shows great foolishness. Anger is the arena of the fool. Short-tempered people do foolish things. Will Rogers said, people who fly into a rage seldom make a good landing. And so when, when you lose your temper, you lose more than your temper. You lose your respect, you lose your health, you lose your job, you can lose your husband, wife, and kids. Proverbs eleven twenty nine says, The fool who provokes his family to anger and resentment will finally have nothing worthwhile left. Anger, anger often manifests itself in the family, and it has devastating effects. Uh, Dr. James Dobson wrote a magazine article called When You Feel Like Screaming. He took a survey of 9 to 12-year-olds and he asked them two questions. He said, what do you like most about your mother and what do you dislike most about your mother? And the answer to the first questions were, were pretty varied. There were lots of different things that kids liked about their mother. The answer to the second question was unanimous. Uh, every kid said something like, I can't stand it when she screams. So why do we scream? Why do we lose our temper? Because it works. It works short term. You know, you get angry, you start yelling at somebody. Most of the time, most people will comply, either out of fear or just to get you to stop screaming. But in the long run, you damage the relationship. Uh, Write this down in your notes somewhere. It's not a fill-in, but just write down, anger alienates. Anger alienates. You need to remember the results of your anger. Second, if you're going to tame your temper, you need to reflect before reacting. Uh, you, You don't respond immediately. You think it through first. You reflect. You engage your brain before you engage your mouth. Uh, Fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. And and I love this verse in the New English Bible. It says, a stupid man gives free rein to his anger. A wise man waits. Circle that word, waits. You know, one of the great remedies for anger is delay. The, The longer you hold your temper, 
the tamer it gets. If you let it out immediately, it goes wild. But the longer you, you hold it, the tamer it gets. Uh, Thomas Jefferson said, when you're angry, count to 10. If you're really angry, count to 100. If you're still angry, keep counting. And so the longer you can delay and defer, it gives you opportunity to remember the results, opportunity to reflect before reacting. And whatever your first impulse is, don't do it. A wise man waits and lets it grow cool. And you want to remember that if you're dealing with an angry person. If you're dealing with an angry person and they try and back away, uh, give them the opportunity to step away and let it grow cool. You know, you get two angry people who won't let it go, and, and one of them tries to step out and the other one chases them, and, you know, don't you walk away from me. Uh, we got to settle this right now. Uh, no, let them walk. Let them walk. Let them step away. Wait. Let it cool. Deal with it later. Now, you may think that you can't tame your temper, but you can because anger is a choice. You just have to bring it under control. Proverbs 12, 16, a fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. So for some people, everything's a life and death issue. Uh, you know, the slightest offense just sets them off. A, a small pot boils quickly. And what, what upsets you shows the depth of your character. Uh, years ago at a Christian college in, in the first chapel of the year, the president of the college told the students, said, you have come to us with cold hearts and thin skins. We want you to leave here with warm hearts and thick skins. That's the goal, warm hearts, thick skins. I mean, what a difference we see in our culture today. Today we educate people to be hurt and offended by every little thing. That the slightest offense throws us into a tweet storm or a Facebook face-off. And what does it take to upset you? Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Spiritual maturity is the ability to overlook a hurt. Spiritual maturity is the ability to disregard it, to shrug it off, to play it down. Best example of this is Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus was libeled, slandered, criticized, put down, misunderstood. He never retaliated. Because you need to know this. Nothing can make you mad. No one can make you mad. You choose to be mad. Anger is your choice. You put two people in the exact same situation. One gets mad, one doesn't. Why is that? Because it's the difference in how they choose to respond. One chooses to become angry, the other chooses to stay calm. It's a choice. You're driving down the road, somebody cuts you off. It can make you angry, or you can think, you know, that could have been my mother, my wife, my daughter, it could have been my father or brother, it could have been my pastor that cut me off, okay? We all make mistakes when we're driving, okay? Uh, one of my favorite stories is a mother who was driving through busy traffic and she was getting irritated and her young daughter in the car seat in the back said, Mom, are you ever the idiot? <laughs> so when, when you're irritated, you need to ask, is this really that big a deal? Is this worth being upset over? 
Because every minute you're upset is 60 seconds of happiness that you lose. You know, is it worth giving up my happiness for this? And I hope you've learned in marriage that some things aren't worth arguing over. You know, some things aren't worth fighting about. There's a greater advantage to just let it go. General George Patton wrote a book on management called Patton's Principles for Managers Who Mean It. And he says, never fight a battle where you don't gain anything by winning. You got to know which battles to fight, which battles aren't worth fighting. And that's true in, in business, in management, in marriage, in parenting, at church. So you want to you reflect before acting. A truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even-tempered. A person with understanding. The more I understand my wife, the more understanding I will be toward her. The more I understand my kids, the more understanding I will be toward them. The more I understand my coworkers, the more understanding I will be toward them. Proverbs 19.11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience. Uh, you know, people often say, would, would you pray for me? I need patience. I'm too impatient. Pray that I get patience. What you really need is not patience. What you need is wisdom. Pray for wisdom because wisdom yields patience. And you want the wisdom to analyze your anger and say, why is this upsetting me? Uh, why is this bothering me so much? Because anger is a secondary emotion. Uh, anger is the symptom not the root cause. Anger's a warning light that there's a deeper issue. People who are angry are either hurt, frustrated, or afraid. Hurt causes anger. Uh, when, when you're physically, spiritually, emotionally hurt, you get angry. Frustration causes anger. Uh, when nothing seems to work, when you're forced to wait, when things don't go as planned, you can get angry. Fear causes anger. When, when you're insecure, you feel threatened, uh, when you're afraid, you chase any animal into a corner and, and it'll start attacking you. That's what fear does, even in people. And so in marriage, uh, insecurity, fear about the relationship. She's not listening to me, he's not listening to me, I feel like this relationship is insecure and falling apart. My needs aren't being met. That creates a fear that becomes anger, which in turn fuels more fear, which fuels more anger, and you just get on that crazy cycle that spirals down. And so you've got to learn to, to deal, tame your temper, and then deal with your hurt, frustration, and fear. You know, people who stay calm have real insight. They look and they figure out, okay, why am I upset? What's the real problem here? Am I hurt? Am I frustrated? Am I afraid? And then they tame the anger and they deal with the real issue. Third thing, if you're going to tame your temper, you want to restrain your remarks. You restrain your remarks. Proverbs 21, 23. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. There's a refrigerator verse. <laughs> you know, blowing your stack only creates air pollution. A sharp tongue cuts your own throat. Speak sweet words because you may have to eat them. 
I mean, how many times in anger have you spoken words that as soon as they came out of your mouth, you wished you could take them back? But you can't take them back. And once they've gone out, there's the wound, and the damage is already done. And the problem is, is that words come easily when we're angry. I'll tell you, folks, when I'm angry, I'm brilliant. I can think of just the right thing to say. I can think of that sarcastic comment, that cutting word. I can go right for the jugular. I can win for my side. I can cut you down to size. But it's going to cut others, and I'm cutting my own throat when I do it. Uh, Sarcasm escalates the situation. Harsh words escalate, and it deepens the wound. Uh, Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Which do you want to do? Do you want to wound with your words, or do you want to bring healing? Wise words bring healing. Uh, look at Proverbs twenty-two twenty-four. It says, don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people, or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. Anger is contagious. Anger is infectious. If you get it, other people will get it. If other people get it, you'll probably get it because it's contagious. And over the years, I've had to make some very difficult decisions about who my friends are. Am I going to continue to associate closely with angry people? Am I going to fill my life up with angry critics and cynics? And it's grieved me in the past, but I've had to let some people go because their anger was becoming toxic to me. It was endangering my soul. It's a well-known fact that children learn from the adults they observe. Parents, every time you lose your temper, you're teaching your kids how to be angry. Every time you lose your cool, you're modeling for them how you deal with your anger. A famous golfer was doing a pro clinic. He was teaching a bunch of people how to play golf. He had his 14-year-old son with him, and he thought he'd show off a little bit. So he turned to his son and said, Hey, son, show them what I taught you. And the son obediently pulled a nine iron out of the golf bag, threw it against a tree, and started swearing like a sailor. (laughs) That is not what the golf pro thought he had taught his son about golf. But... What you model for a kid is what they learn. Uh, My grandkids are into these squeeze packs. Uh, You know, you unscrew the lid and and you squeeze it and applesauce or pears or, you know, other stuff comes out. And, And the point is, is that whatever's in the squeeze pack, that's what comes out when you put pressure on it. And people are like squeeze packs. When the world puts the squeeze on you, what's in you is what comes out. And some of you, you you are filled all the way to the brim with stress and tension and anger and hurt. And so anytime the world puts the squeeze on you, that's what comes out. That's what comes out. And God wants to take that, that squeeze pack, he wants to take that vessel and empty out all the anger, hurt, stress, and tension. And he wants to fill you with love, joy, peace, patience gentleness, kindness, meekness, faithfulness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. 
And when God is in control of your life and the world puts the squeeze on you, what comes out, it's not applesauce and it's not anger. What comes out is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. Now, how does Jesus Christ help us with our anger? He helps us by dealing with the root problem. You're hurting, frustrated, afraid. Jesus Christ wants to work on those things. Now, how does he do it? Number four, you want to retrain your heart and mind. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And notice the connection there between the heart and mind. As you think in your heart, so that's how you are. So what's in your heart and mind determines how you act. Your heart and your mind determine the type of person you will be. Jesus told us the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. And so if you want to tame your temper, you have to retrain your heart and mind. And it's really important to understand that God wants you to do this. God really wants you to change your behavior. He wants you to tame your temper. Uh, so often we, we use the excuse, well, that's just the way God made me. I'm just wired up to be angry. My whole family, that's just the way God made us. And we try to put the blame on God. But the Bible makes it clear over and over again that the way we show up here when we're born is not the way God wants us to end up. God wants us to become less and less the way we are and to become more and more like Christ. That's God's goal for us, that we would become like Christ. And Paul tells us over and over again in the New Testament that we come into this world fallen, broken, dead in sin, enemies of God. But our great hope is that we can come alive in Christ, that we can become less like us and more like Christ. Now, how do I become like Christ? One of the clearest descriptions of this process is found in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3 is one of the most powerful, powerful chapters in the Bible. Colossians 3.8 tells us this about anger. Look at this. But now you must also rid yourselves, circle that phrase, rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. If you think God is interested in tolerating your temper tantrums, that God's going to let you off the hook because that's just the way you are, this verse lets you know that's not true. What does God want you to do with your anger? He wants you to get rid of it. He wants you to eradicate it, not excuse it. Rid yourself of it. Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language should have no place in your life. Instead, in verse 12, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. As a believer in Jesus Christ, chosen, holy, dearly loved, when people look at you, they should not see a person full of anger. You get rid of those ugly behaviors. 
And when they look at you, they should see someone who is clothed in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You begin to live out the fruit of the Spirit. You fill yourself up with the Spirit so that when you get jostled, when you get squeezed, anger doesn't pop out. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience come out. That's what happens when you retrain your heart and mind. Now, Colossians verses 1 and 2 tells us where that process of temper taming starts. How do you retrain your heart and mind? You set your heart on things above. You set your mind on things above. It starts with a recalibration in the heart and mind. You shift the focus of your heart and mind off of the hurt, the frustration, the fear that you're feeling here on earth, And you focus on the forgiveness, the healing, and the security that you have in Jesus Christ, who's seated in the heavenlies. That's why you focus on things above. And the Bible tells us in Colossians, it tells us again in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians and Colossians are sister books. And a lot of the material is in the same. Because Paul says, I want both of these churches to know this. And so he almost exactly the same, same verses uh, on this topic are found in both books. God wanted us to hear this twice because he knew how much we needed it. And so it tells us over and over again. The book of Psalms tells us over and over again how to do this. And it, it tells us so often that we miss it. Uh, for me, for years, it was the, the I can't see the forest for the trees kind of a deal. Uh, you know, the answer's right in front of us. How do I make this happen? And it's so obvious that we can't see it. Look at this in Colossians 3.16. He says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Now, you want to tame your temper? Then you set your heart and mind on things above. And you get rid of rage, anger, malice, slander, filthy language, and you put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. How do I do that? You teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Folks, this is why half of our service is worship. That's why half of our service is worship, because these songs are designed to teach and admonish you. They are designed to retrain your heart and brain, to set your heart and mind on things above. So you can put off you and you can put on Christ. 25 years ago when I started Rockbrook, I intentionally put together a worship order that was different than what I had experienced in the churches in my past. In the churches in my past, we front-loaded all the worship. We would sing for 30 minutes, and then the pastor would preach for 30 minutes, and then we'd sing a hymn at the end to wake everybody up and let them know it was time to go home. I said, I, I don't want to do it that way. I want to sing a couple of songs at the beginning to get your spirits enlivened and to draw you in, and then I want to teach. And I want to teach and admonish you through the Word. And then I want to give you the opportunity after that to worship, 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 because that's what sets that word into your heart and mind. And I tell you, now that I've told you this, you'll notice 
uh, in this service and in services to come. That as you sing the songs after the sermon, there are phrases, maybe in a song that you've sung and heard before, but all of a sudden, because of the combination of that message and that song, in that worship time, you set it, you plant it into your heart and mind uh, through the act of worship. Let, 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 me, let me bring this right down to where you can grab a hold of this. You feel yourself getting angry. You need to do three things. Number one, you need to stop. Stop. Your anger warning light's going off. Your anger alarm siren is blaring. Don't go down that road. Stop. Stop. Number two, you need to step away. You pull yourself out of that situation. You step back, step aside. You step away from it. And the third thing you do, you sing. Sing. Now, I'll tell you, it's not going to do you any good to sing the Star-Spangled Banner, Hey Jude, or Achy Breaky Heart, okay? <laughs> or whatever the popular ditty is today. Th those songs will not set your heart and mind on Christ. You need a song, you need a, a psalm, a hymn, or a spiritual song. That's why we teach you these songs. Listen, these guys are not up here performing these songs. They are teaching you these songs. This is not a concert. This is a classroom. Because you need these songs. When you face hurt, fear, and frustration, when the, you are festering with anger, rage, malice, slander, and cussing, you need something powerful. You need something spiritually powerful to break the power of that temptation and that temper. You need something that will set your heart and mind on Christ. And that's a song. Now, you don't have to sing the whole song. Just from experience, I can tell you, I don't have to sing the whole song. Uh, I, I, it can be just a line or two. It can be the chorus from a song, uh, just a phrase. But it's got to be something from your heart. Now, there are times when you'll sing the whole song, and you'll need to. I, I, I have a great testimony of a lady in our church who was faced with a tremendous temptation, and she said, I sat outside that place, and I sang Amazing Grace at the top of my lungs for an hour and a half, and I turned the keys on the car, and I drove home and didn't go in. It gave her the victory. But you may say, well, I can't sing. I'm not musical. This isn't about you being musical. This is about you being spiritually mature. The Bible says to make a joyful noise, to make a loud noise. You sing as a cry for help. You sing as a battle cry. And I'd encourage you to have a heart song. Have a song that is ever in your heart, ever on your lips. And when you're faced with the temptation to be angry, you can stop step away and sing. You can whip that song out like a sword and you can tame your temper and you can defeat that temptation and you can live victoriously in Jesus Christ because it makes all the difference in the world. You remember the results. You've got to count the cost. Anger alienates. You've got to reflect before acting. You engage your mind before you engage your mouth. And you restrain your remarks. Don't control your emotions. Don't let your emotions control you. And then you, rest 
retrain your heart and mind. You stop, you step away, and sing, and you set your heart and mind on things above. You can do this. You can do this. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that it is you that has made us and not we ourselves. That you know us better than we can know us. You know our hurts, frustrations, and fears. You know the triggers that make our tempers flare. And God, you call us to live beyond all that. To live beyond ourselves. To set ourselves aside. You call us to die to ourselves and to live to Christ. To become like Christ. And I thank you for providing in your word the clear instructions that we need to make these life changes. I pray that each of us today, this week, that we would rid ourselves of anger, malice, slander, filthy language, and that we would put on, clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And God, above all, I pray that you would help us to set our hearts and minds on things above, that we would shift our focus to Christ by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.